Welcome to the podcast, In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim Elmore. And my name is Marshall Morden. How are you doing, Tim? Doing all right. Good, good. Feels good to be back in the radio room. Yeah, it feels like it's been a while. I mean, it's only been, I don't know, like a a week and a half, but feels like it's been much longer. It does. It does. Things have happened since then. They have? Yeah. Yeah, you you were down south enjoying the Mexican sun. Oh, to thaw out. (laughs) Like, I I feel like I walk around with a bit of a perma-chill here. Right. Right, where you never actually, like, sometimes sometimes just taking a shower is the, sometimes I think, you know, it's too bad I've had a shower today because now I can't take another one just to warm up. (laughs) But Mexico was great. I think I'm going back. I've already, I've already scheduled it, actually. Oh, great. Planning on it. You want to go with? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, with the weather we have out right now, I mean, that's a, that's a no-brainer for me. All right, let's do it. Okay, cool. Sounds good. All right, today yeah. it's a bonus episode. Yeah. yeah. We are going to do the questions and answers, and I just realized I'm really shouting at the mic, so sorry for that. It's okay. It's uh, the excitement. It is, because, gonna... because questions and answers. Yeah. Bonus Q's, episode. Q's and A's, everybody. So we're going to do bonus episodes every once in a while, uh, working through the readings, doing these questions and answers. Sometimes things come up that we didn't get a chance to talk about, and uh, as people read through, they think, well... That's a shame you didn't talk about that because it was an mm-hmm. interesting question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and 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 sometimes there'll just be some other things along the way that we want to touch on. So, bonus episode number one. Yeah, yeah. Here All we right. go. So here we go. We're going to start it off with Janessa. Yeah, Janessa. Janessa, who writes in and says, "So, Doctor Janessa, Doc, yes, Doctor Janessa says, from Genesis uh, chapter six, how do we reconcile that God regretted making us?" with other characteristics we know to be true of God's uh, love for us and that he is unchanging. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so the passage in question here, Genesis 6, 6, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Yeah. So I would, I would say there's two questions here. We're gonna, we can answer them pretty quickly. I, I would say that God loves us is not in opposition to, but in uh, perfect harmony with the idea that he would regret making us. Because now that man has sinned, mm-hmm. and now that uh, at this point, right, the way that the that man is described in Genesis chapter 6 is very superlatively, every thought of his heart was only evil all of the time. Yeah. Right? And so that he would see that, that he would create man in his image, that it would be the prime of his creation— that he would love them, but now he has to punish them. Yeah, that he would have regret in that uh, is, is sort of in harmony. I think it is a really good question mm-hmm. about regret. Yeah, yeah, and I think the question too, right? The the regret. I mean, for us, when we regret something, it's different. It's different, right? Because we don't necessarily always see the future, um, or, so or ever. See yeah. The future. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's true. Well, maybe there's a few of you. I don't know. Um, no, but so so oftentimes it's kind of that whole hindsight is twenty twenty. You look mm-hmm. back and you say, "Oh, I made a wrong choice." I made a, exactly. But that's not the same. That's not the same situation for God, who is omniscient, who knows how things are going to play out, and yet He still regrets. Mm-hmm. Right. And you used a great analogy, and I'm going to steal it from you. Um, the whole idea of of watching a sad movie twice. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you already know how it goes. You already know how it ends. 
and yet you can still be moved by it anyways, even though you know the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, it still affects you. Uh, for me, that movie is Forrest Gump. I always cry. I don't know why. Yeah. I just yeah. do. I love it. Hmm. Always at a different part, too. I don't cry. Yeah, I know. No, I do. <laughs> <laughs> a good a good sentimental commercial, and I'm done. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think, you know, I mean, you stole my analogy, so it, yeah, it you... seems fruitless to agree with you. <laughs> uh, but I, I think what, what this is is him not saying, my plan was a bad plan, and I wish I had gone with a different plan. Right. I think what he's expressing here is just the depth of uh, with which his heart is wrenched in... Mm in having to go through with this process and watching it unfold. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That redemption, we, we mentioned it before, redemption is a messy thing. Yeah. And it's a painful process for man and for God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So next question. We have uh, we have a series of questions here. We do. Uh, three, four in a row. Uh, where we were asked not to give the name, so questioner asks, Genesis eight twenty one. Never again will I destroy all living things and creatures as I have done. Hmm. In the end times, will not all creatures be destroyed? Quick answer? No. Yeah, we have this idea that uh, in the end, fire will rain down and the entire earth will be consumed by that fire and there will be nothing left, uh, which is not the biblical narrative. No. At the most, it says a third. Yeah, yeah. So there is there is a passage in the book of Revelation, chapter 8, which, which does talk about God in judgment kind of raining fire down, but it's not total annihilation it's partial destruction so just a common misconception um yeah and and it does say he will destroy those who are destroying the earth yeah yeah that's true too right so so the purpose what what is going to happen is god is not coming in to destroy the earth he's coming in to cleanse the earth and the earth will be redeemed in the same way that our bodies will be redeemed Mm -hmm. and so what he's doing is is if you think about what it means to cleanse something you Mm -hmm. kill the bacteria that is creating the problem so that the healthy yeah. Organisms continue. Yeah. And so he will destroy that part of the earth that is contamination on the earth, mm-hmm. and he will restore it with those who live in righteousness and near him. Yeah. Uh, and this actually ties in really well with what we talked about actually just last night with our senior high, wrapping up our series, which was the story of the Bible, talking about how the eternal life that we're going to live is actually probably going to look a little bit like this life, but just perfect right it's it, we're talking about you know a, a redeemed a renewed planet uh, devoid of all disease and destruction and death and sin um yeah that that's that's the future hope is a renewed earth yeah the women's praxis group is working through a book called better than eden mm. oh which nice is a, I like that yeah an opportunity to look at it and say eden and then some cool right that's what we're that's what we're anticipating cool next question uh, Genesis 9, 9, and 12. God established a covenant with all people and with every living creature. Mm. While uh, Why with every living creature? Mm. What is the importance of animals to God? And why does God make covenant with animals? And also, why does God punish animals as seen in other parts of the Bible? Does mm. God punish animals? I think there, well, I mean, there are consequences, right? We read uh, when we're going through the law, right? If an ox gores a man, right? Like you gotta you gotta put it to death, right? So if an animal mm-hmm. causes a man harm, it's to be destroyed. Right? Yeah, Genesis. I think it's Genesis nine, uh, where it talks about the shedding of man's blood because man is created in, God, in the image of God. Right. It says uh, if anyone sheds the blood of man by man, his blood should be set, shed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also talks about animals giving account 
yeah. for the shed of man's yeah. blood. Yeah, I think the thing too about this particular passage, right? This covenant, this is the Noahic covenant, right? So this is the covenant that God makes with Noah post-flood. And God is essentially saying, look, I am not going to destroy the entire world like this again. And so that's the covenant that he makes not only with the human beings, but with the animals as well, saying, I'm not going to wipe out all life, which kind of ties in the previous question, but I'm, I'm not going to do that again. Um, and so, yeah, so it's just natural that not only human beings, but also all of the created order is included in that. So, yeah. Yeah. Next question. Coming from Leviticus 7, 23 to 25, uh, the question is this. In reference to the laws where uh, they are told not to eat the fat, uh, the statement is the fat is not to be eaten by man. But on the other hand, fat from hunted animals, uh, for example, deer, would that be okay? Mm. Uh, as well as the fat from defective animals, those not being given a sacrifice, like right. uh, cattle, sheep, and goats, is that okay? Uh, or my way off base? Should so this is this is something that I I think we can answer directly, but we can also answer in a way that is big picture principle. Sure, and the idea of what it means for us to live under the law, hmm. right? Because I I feel like that's a I feel like understanding what it means for us to live under the law not only answers this question, but it answers a myriad of questions sort of in this vein. Right. Yeah. Uh, because because what happens is we find ourselves in this place asking questions like, well, what about ground beef? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. Like, do I have to pick through my ground beef uh, in order before I make a burger and make sure that there's no fat in there at all? Right. Um, how I need to find out what is the history of the cow that this ground beef came from? Right. Because if it had a limp. Yeah. Game on. Right. But right. if it was in good shape. And, and could have been offered as a sacrifice, uh, that would be a different story. The, the issue comes down to this. We no longer live under this law. Yeah. And so for us to say um, that these things apply and that we have to start figuring these things out inside of our own diet is not valid. Yeah. And and one thing that we want to really encourage Christians to do, there's there's this really growing wave of uh, Hebrew roots yeah. and Christian Zionism, yep. uh, even inside of our own city, where yeah. where people are trying to say the law matters and Jesus is just the final sacrifice, but all the law still stands. Yeah, entirely unbiblical. Yep. Uh, and and we can show that in a couple of cases. We'll do that. Um. But but trying to bring the law together with Jesus is what the Judaizers have been doing since day one. Paul addresses this with the Gentiles. Yeah. Uh, and, and it actually, in my opinion, many of the heresies that run through the New Testament that constitute the writing of the epistles, I'm writing to this church because I want to encourage you out of this or to believe this different thing, much of it comes down to Judaization, where people yeah. are saying, hey— the Jews are at this point still the predominant people group inside of the church right. throughout the biblical narrative. And so you need to be good Jews. Even if you want to believe in Jesus, fine, but you still need to be good Jews. Right. Yeah. And and that's not how we read the Old Testament. We read the Old Testament in such a way as to say this is the story of the roots of Christianity. These things are true revelations of God's person and his purpose, 
in revealing himself throughout a historical narrative in real time space scenarios. And this is how he went about it. And this is how he did this for them. And they had very specific reasons that showed us something about him and his plan and helped us see how that plan would be fulfilled in Christ. But we no longer practice these laws because they are the old covenant and the new has come. So what are some examples scripturally so that we can say, okay, the Bible affirms this and not just Tim said so? Yeah, so I think offhand I can think of three kind of significant examples of how food in particular is addressed in the New Testament. So there's Jesus saying uh, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him unclean, right? And then, you know, therefore saying, you know, therefore saying that all foods are clean. Um, there's the vision that Peter has of all the unclean animals, and God says, you know, don't call what I've made clean unclean. And then Paul in Romans 14 addresses this whole idea of, you know, some people eat meat and some people don't, um, and not to get hung up on that, right? Not to, not to, and, and actually it implies that the ones with the, the, the food issues are weaker brothers, so like, don't, you know, don't berate people if they have certain convictions about, about food, uh, maybe just guide them along kindly, um, uh, would be the, the, the Christian way of dealing with that. But yeah, that, that, that food, the, the old Testament, the old covenant, um, understanding of clean and unclean foods is, is not relevant anymore. Yeah. I, I would say that, uh, when it comes to dietary restriction, mm-hmm. I would say gluttony, yeah, sure. Still stands because yep. gluttony is an expression of idolatry. Yep. Uh, gluttony d- just doesn't mean eating to the point of obesity. Uh, exactly. I hate it when that gets misunderstood. Yeah. Gluttony means that I am finding my comfort and my purpose mm-hmm. in feeding my body yep. and making that what I go to instead of God. Sure. And sure. and then it becomes idolatry. And so gluttony is is still something that we would care yeah. about in our diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that God has given us bodies to take care of. So uh, whatever it means for you to be caring for your body and not just destroying it by what you intake, yeah. I think is still uh, within the realm of something we should be concerned about. Uh, and, and I would say the overconsumption of alcohol to the point of drunkenness yep. is something that we uh, we still see existing in principle inside of the New Testament as uh, things that do not express faith but express faithlessness, right? Um, and and bring into question our character, uh, our submission to God, mm-hmm. um, and so those outside of that, I, I think all dietary things are a go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, give it a try. Yeah, why not? Well, <laughs> the missionary motto. God, I'll go where you lead me and eat what you feed me. <laughs> That's great. I like that. Yeah, in Peru, they eat guinea pigs. Yeah. They call it cooey. Yeah. Candace has had it, actually. Disgusting. All right. Next question comes from Candace. Oh, hey. Now that you mention it. What do you know? Candace, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of funny. So she, <laughs> so she texted me a couple of these questions while she was going through the reading. And I told her I wasn't going to answer it. She had to wait for the, the Q&A episode because I think think there were some of them were really good questions that I think uh, the you know all of our listeners would benefit from hearing the answers for. So, so you told your wife, I'm not answering your question. You got to wait in line like everybody else. Is that how it works in your house? <laughs> they were not they were not questions of like immediate gospel importance. I think they're, <laughs> they're just more curiosities. Worth exploring. <laughs> I did the same thing to Lindsay. We've got okay, a question good. from her, too. <laughs> good, good. 
<laughs> All right, Exodus 33, before we dig a deeper hole. Sure. Uh, when God says, and I know you by name, does mm. this imply that he may, may not know others by name? Uh, or is this language uh, slash a translation difference? Yeah, so I think the thing to understand here is that God is kind of, God is expressing to Moses the intimate knowledge that he has of Moses. So the fact that God is asserting that he knows Moses by name does not necessarily imply that he doesn't know everyone by name, right? So the mm. affirmative does not imply the negative, I think, in this in this situation. Yeah, and, and I would say that that appears in other places, right? Sure. When he says, I will not leave you nor forsake you, doesn't mean that he will leave and forsake other people. No. Uh, when he says your name will not be removed from the book of life, doesn't mean that some names are going to be removed, but not yours. Mm. Uh, this is just an instance where it, it's an it's an affirmation. Yeah, right. means right. means nothing to the negative. Uh, next question, Exodus thirty four seven. What does this verse mean when God says He will not clear the guilty? You want to read the verse for us? Yeah. So actually, I'll read the verse before. Uh, the Lord, the Lord, a God of merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So does what does it mean that he's not going to clear the guilty? I, I, I would say this. There's a there's a trend out there that people fell into really heavily, and and it still exists today. But it was it was really popular uh, around sort of like 2009, 2010ish. Rob Bell really ushered it in with Love Wins and, yeah. and sort of a new way. This idea of universalism mm -hmm. that a God who is loving and able to forgive sin will surely forgive everyone's sin. Yeah, and that if we are going to celebrate a God being willing and able to forgive us of our sins, we should see that he will do that for all people. Here, what the passage is saying is he is gracious and merciful and he is the forgiver of sins and they are worshiping him for that. Yeah. But they are also recognizing he is, this is, there's no room for universalism. Oh yeah. God punishes all sin. Yes. God has already or will eventually punish every single sin done by every single person, period. Now, that falls into two categories. It is either punishment that is reserved for those who are condemned for eternity, or it is sin that has been placed on Christ as our substitutionary atonement. And that's what it is. So God doesn't clear the guilty. He doesn't, he doesn't erase the debt per se. It, the debt is still paid, but just not by us. Yeah, so the question comes down to not whether or not the debt will be paid, but who will pay the debt. Exactly. The guilty here are those who continue in their guilt mm -hmm. outside of the atonement of Christ. And you may look at this and say it's Exodus, it has nothing to do with the cross, but this is all sacrifice and everything inside of the law is pointing to Christ, and, and the faith shown in that is faith shown in the plan of God. So it is pointing forward to the cross. Amen. And so they, if they are to die in their guilt because they have not placed their faith in the plan of God, mm -hmm. then they die guilty. Right. If we place ourselves in the plan of God and the substitution that Christ paid for our sin, then we are those in his mercy. Yeah. But the price has still been paid. Yeah, either way. It's paid. Yeah. So justice, justice will take place. 
Next question from Candace. She's got a few here. She does. She does. You should talk to your wife more. <laughs> <laughs> when it says the Lord speaks to Moses like a man face to face, in verse 11, and then says to Moses, uh, says that Moses can't look at his face in verse 20. So does it mean that in verse 11 that Moses is speaking with God in close proximity like we would face to face, but his face is concealed? Hmm. Yeah. So this, again, Exodus 33. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting situation, right? So this phrase is used that God, it's a be- beautiful phraseology, actually, that the, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Um, and then later Moses says, God, I want to see your face. And God's like, nah, you can't see my face, but we'll create this scenario where you can see my back. Um, and so I think what we need to understand with this is just like in the English language, the use of expression, uh, the use of certain phrases that that aren't necessarily taken literally, right? Um, what's implied by the idea of Moses speaking to Moses face to face is not literally like nose to nose, but but um, it is an intimate kind of connection that um, that God does not typically communicate with people mm-hmm. in that manner, right? It's it's a it's a way of of God kind of almost you know in meeting with Moses in a in a in on the top of Mount Sinai or in the tent of meeting, um, God speaking to Moses in a way that is much more, um, yeah, relationally close. I guess than than is normal. Yeah, I, I think intimacy is is the go to word here, mm-hmm. uh, because what he what he's talking about is he's talking about like a friend talks to a friend. Yeah, uh, we we hear from God through the revelation of His Word, mm-hmm. which is in some way distanced. Sure. Right. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, and so the the curtain torn and and Christ indwelling the Spirit of Christ indwelling within us and all of those kinds of things. But but there is still a distance, and Paul talks about that uh, even as a writer of Scripture who's being inspired to write the Word of God. Yeah. He still tells the church in Corinth, "Hey, there are things right now that we only partially understand, but when that day comes, oh, when that day comes, we will see face." to face mm-hmm. right and then we will understand with intimacy and we'll communicate with intimacy and this is an intimacy that god is using with moses that i would say arguably has not existed since adam mm-hmm. and maybe doesn't exist again until jesus right uh but it, it is a beautiful picture of that communication but yeah I, I don't think it means a physical manifestation of the face of god right um, yeah in a sort of anthropomorphic yeah god has a face that he was he saw Right, right. Yeah. And I think this whole discussion, um, we were chatting with us earlier, kind of this whole idea of like understanding the, the language and the, the literature that we're reading is a necessary part of doing faithful Bible study. So I think, you know, one of the things that, that we've spoken up all about already and we'll speak about again is kind of the whole idea of literary genre and how that affects the various parts of Scripture and how we, how we engage with those bits of Scripture, how we understand, um, you know, even coming to like original language and culture and how things um, would have been understood in in the ancient Near East uh, should affect how we how we interpret things. So, all right, Marcel. Mm. Marcel says, "I understand that the laws are important, but that they show us." Uh, this isn't because Marcel can't write. This is because I can't read. Uh, but that they show us that without Christ's ultimate sacrifice on the cross, nothing 
can save us from eternal damnation. So, where do the Israelites stand in the final judgment? Also, what about before the laws were established in Exodus and Leviticus? What about the patriarchs and Noah and Adam and Eve? Jesus tells a parable in Luke about the poor man and Lazarus dying and meeting with Abraham. Mm. So what, I, we touched on this a little bit. We I did, I did yeah. because I'm having trouble remembering what order we're going to be doing these in. <laughs> uh, so so, th- so this is that, that all things point to the cross. Yep. Uh, and, and I would also say that there's reason for us to understand that Exodus isn't necessarily the delivery of God's divine revelation in the law, but the codification, mm. the actually establishing it as a law, uh, because when God looks at Abraham and counts him faithful, mm-hmm. it's because he's a keeper of the law. Yeah. Not a codified law, mm-hmm. but maybe a law of conscience that God had put on him. Uh, and, and sacrifices are, are given before Mount Sinai, yeah. uh, those kinds of things. Uh, so how God has chosen to reveal himself, if, if we look at this, is called the concept of covenant theology. Yep. And, and the idea is that there are two covenants. There's the covenant of works, mm-hmm. which was the covenant made with Adam. Mm-hmm. Do these things, don't do this thing, it's up to you. Yeah. And Adam failed. And then after that, we come into the covenant of grace. And in the covenant of grace, we have this idea that God is going to no longer make it the responsibility of man to do what's right, but the the act of God to redeem man in the midst of his wrong. Yeah. Right? And we see shadows of this Mm -hmm. inside of the old covenant, and we see it fulfilled in Christ in the new covenant. Yep. Now, our friends that uh, might have found us via the Gospel Coalition uh, or, or just sort of surfing around in the net that are from Christian Reformed Church or who are Presbyterian would say, no, 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 no. The, it, it began, uh, the, the covenant of grace began even at Sinai and just became right. greater under Jesus, but yeah. that's a whole other they were gracious that's a whole other covenants book. of works or whole know. other yeah, whole other get, discussion. Well, it's not yeah, it's not for this podcast. Yeah, not that, right now. That's why that's why we love each other, mm. but we worship in different buildings. That's fair. And we baptize people at different ages. That's true. Yeah. All right. I hope that answered Marcel's question. I don't even know if we Well, did yeah, so I think the All other right. thing, so we where did the Israelites stand in the final judgment, right? We already said sin needs to be paid for, right? And so either you receive it. You receive the due punishment of your own sin or Christ bears that punishment on your behalf. So how were Old Testament Jews saved? Jesus. Their trust in God's plan for redemption. Although they only saw in types and shadows, even though they were, you know, they didn't have a full picture as we do of what God's plan for redemption was. They trusted that God would graciously redeem them and they had faith in that God who would do that for them. And they expressed that faith and obedience to the law. But it was not that obedience to the law that saved them. We know that to be true from, from what Paul says. Sorry. Anyways. No, you're good. Okay. We're, we're here to answer questions. Yeah. I just want I you just don't want have to apologize that. for answering that's, questions. That's just a question that's come up multiple times, I think, from different people. And I just wanted to kind of get that in there so people can yeah. understand. Mrs. Vanderhoven writes mm. two questions. In present day, why are the Israelites, the Jewish Orthodox, not sacrificing animals? As far as I'm aware. No temple. That's right. Yeah. It is uh, unlawful to practice sacrifices outside of the temple. And since 
the destruction of the temple, 70 AD, yeah. as recorded by Flavius Josephus. Mm-hmm. There's no place to do it. Yeah. And interestingly enough, there's been no conviction to rebuild the temple. Don't know why. The Jews, you would think, would think, hey, we've been given a mandate. We now have Israel back. Yeah, but I think they want to build a. Ba- um, I think this has to do with some political stuff, though. Oh yeah, political stuff, right? They oh, yeah. want to build on the same spot, but the that Temple spot Mount. is is held. Well, there's a mosque on it right now. Right. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. So so they're fighting over that particular spot historically. Yeah. With uh with the Muslims mm-hmm. and uh, and so there's there's not an opportunity for them to rebuild right now. Not right now. Not really a a push for it. Uh, a push to grab the land, but there's there's no like no drawings ready or anything like that. Yeah, sure. Uh, but but they can't sacrifice without a temple. Yep, that's as simple um, as it is. Yeah. Next question: uh, Does the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and the temple are they all essentially the same thing? Just sort of interchangeable words. Mm. Uh, and the quick answer to that is no. The definitive thing is this: the tent of meeting is what? Tent of meeting was a just a tent where Moses met with God, and God spoke to Moses. And came out with a shining face. Yeah, yeah. That lasted a while. Yeah, people would kind of be like The Shekinah glory. He wore a veil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to not freak people out. Yeah. Uh, The tabernacle is? Tabernacle is uh, the place of worship uh, amongst the people of Israel prior to the temple being built that demonstrated... Um, the holiness of God. So they would enter into the tabernacle, bring their sacrifices, and through that process would be ushered into the presence of God. Yeah, it's a porta temple, right? Yeah. They're traveling yeah. They're traveling through the wilderness. They yeah. have. They can't build a temple because this is not the promised land. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're wanderers, sojourners. Yep. So yep. they have this portable temple that they drag around with them yep. that actually lasts until time. the time of uh, Solomon. Yeah. Right, David is the first one. So through all of the judges, yeah. and uh, and uh, Saul, there no one has the idea. Hey, maybe something more permanent than this tent. Right. Uh, but David comes up with that idea. God says, "No, you're a man of war." I, I'm giving it away. Yeah, it's okay. No one's gonna read Samuel now. <laughs> uh, Spoiler <laughs> alert. And so, so David says, "Hey, uh, I want to do this." He says, "No, you've shed too much blood, but yep. your son Solomon can." Yep. And so Solomon builds the temple, which yep. is a larger version of and. Larger and permanent version of the tabernacle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That gets torn down in the exile. Yep, then rebuilt. Nehemiah comes back. They rebuild the uh, city, mm-hmm. rebuild the temple, mm-hmm. and then in seventy A.D. gets destroyed again by the, the Romans. Romans uh, ruthlessly. Yeah, like no stone left. Ruthlessly on top of destroy another. the temple. Yeah, it's intense. Uh, all right, next question. Mm-hmm. Next question, Kim. Kim says. Leviticus nineteen twenty eight, tattoos. Oh, interesting. Tattoos are tattoos okay? What if it's a Bible verse? So I mean, you want to read? You want to read the passage for us? Leviticus nineteen twenty eight. Yeah, sure. I'll I'll, I'll pause and uh, give people something to listen to while you look that up really quickly. Uh, Leviticus nineteen and twenty eight, and and maybe even some of twenty seven if you need to to gr- bring the context into sure. it. Sure. So, um, Leviticus nineteen. 27 28 well 27 is you shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard okay 28 you shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves i am the lord yeah i i think one of the pivotal things two things one law sure we've already covered yep uh but then to say well 
it is the same person. So those things that this God would find disgraceful, is it still found disgraceful? Mm. I would say, okay, what is, is it the action or the motive that he is finding disgraceful? Right. And these things are particularly cuts and tattooings for the dead. Yep. This is a means of mourning the lost, mm-hmm. uh, physically lost. And they are mourning as people without hope. Yep. And he is saying, you are a people of hope. Yeah. Don't mourn like people without hope. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. And so I, I would say I would say the only thing that I would connect to this in principle, like if I were going to draw a hypothetical situation, if a believer came to me and said, uh, my, my significant family member uh, has passed away, and I'm so grieved that I'm going to get a tattoo of their name and the date of their birth and death. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm just so hopelessly grieved, I don't know what else to do. Mm. I would not say to them, you can't do that because the law says this. Mm-hmm. Uh, even at that point, I would say they're violating a principle of hopelessness in mourning that we ought not violate. Right. Uh, but I, I, would still, I would still say in that, even though it, I would discourage it, I would say the ink stains the skin and not the soul. Exactly. Um, and, and so that's, uh, any, anything outside of that, especially if we like, there's also an opportunity in Isaiah where they write upon their hands, the Lord's. Yeah. And actually doesn't Jesus in his like return have things written on him? Doesn't Did he have you just written? argue for returning Christ with full sleeves? Like, no, I, I'm just, I just, that just came to me now. Maybe that was, maybe I shouldn't have been. Yeah. Like, written on foreheads and arms and all yeah, kinds there's of stuff, stuff like that. There's anyway. signi- but you know what? I'm going to leave it to the Holy Spirit to do the, the deciphering of what, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. what, <laughs> what end time tattooing looks like in the redeemed and glorified body. And you know what? I think this, the whole issue just it should be left to, to the conviction of the Holy Spirit on when it comes to the tattoos. I mean, yeah. And, and that's exactly where I would leave it. I would, I would say if you, if you feel like this is something that you can do in such a way as to honor God, mm-hmm. then do it. Mm-hmm. If, if your conscience prohibits you from doing this because, uh, you just don't feel like it's right, then honor God by not doing it. Amen. Yeah. Uh, Lindsay. Oh, Lindsay. Lindsay, uh, doesn't say where she's from. Not the only pastor's wife with a question. (laughs) Mm. How do we give glory to God in destruction? So the heart of the question being when we see God doing destructive things, destroying people, uh, how do we read that in such a way that we celebrate and worship him in that? And and there's no scripture reference to give here because— This it runs, just, it runs throughout. Yeah, to the end, like oh yeah, to to the to the very end, to right? The very end. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we had we had a we had a good discussion about this because this is a big question, right? This is something that I think we we really wrestle with, and I would maybe even argue that in our in our modern Western context, in particular, we really wrestle with this. Um, I think in part because the picture of God that we espouse and that we're most familiar with is the is the is the you know the the loving, gracious, merciful God. He is all of those things beyond our comp- comprehension, and we praise and glorify Him for those things. But I feel like we don't have a fully orbed view of God. Many of us, even myself, I think I I, I struggle with that understanding that you know there is also righteous judgment and and fury that that God has in within his character and that is worthy of worship as well. 
Yeah, I think the the biggest thing that I would press on here is that we're, what we're worshiping is the person of God. Mm-hmm. Um, do I need to worship the destruction of mankind? That is what I struggle with. Not mm. the person of God, but the destruction of mankind. Right. And so inside of that wrestling, I would say this is probably the most true thing I could say about myself. In my humanity, mm. I associate more with sinful man than a righteous God. Yeah. And his holiness is beyond my comprehension. Yet at the same time, the, des- the demise of my sin is beyond my comprehension. Right. I don't understand how great his glory is, and I don't understand how bad my sin is and how offensive it is to his glory. Um, and, and that's something that we continue to understand more and more as we mature yep. uh, in Christ. And, and so part of me wants to say, is it so bad? Is sin so bad? Um, and, and, and a lot of times, actually, people who will argue against this will say, is the sin really so bad? Is it worthy of eternal conscious punishment mm. uh, and eternal separation from God? Uh, the, the thing is, we don't understand how great God is or how bad we are. Mm-hmm. And so inside of that, we find ourselves wrestling because we just don't know. Mm. And, and I think the best thing that we can do in this is not to be able to say, hey, tens of thousands killed. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad those people were killed. Mm-hmm. But instead to say, God, you were good. And you know, you know what you're doing and understand the process. What God is doing in the redemptive story is redeeming his world, which means he is doing away with the sin Mm -hmm. so that in the end there is uh, the the redeemed state that he is able to bring this all of creation to a place where it is once again good. It is better than Eden, Mm -hmm. right? And in order to do that, in order to cleanse, you've got to do away with what is the corruption. Yeah, and yeah. so he cannot bring us into an a state of zero corruption without doing away with the corrupt. Yeah, no, I I like that. I think I think it's a, a worthwhile prayer to pray that God would help us understand the depth and the depravity of our sin, so that we might come to appreciate Him and His mercy and His grace more. Mm-hmm. Right. I think I think I think that one of the best ways to really to really um, grow in our love for what God, who God is and what he has done for us is to understand how desperate we are apart mm-hmm. from him. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. OK, so that's the end of the ones we have listed. But I just remembered one more. OK. All right. Because it wasn't written down. OK. Morgan brought it to me in church because Morgan's busy and can't send the email. <laughs> I'm gonna hear about that. <laughs> and so, and so she came to me. She, she did just move. I'll give her that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so she asked a good question. She said, "When you guys were talking about Abraham, you talked about Abraham as if he didn't." Oh, she came to you too. Yeah, she did. As as if you thought that Abraham didn't know what was going on, and that Abraham might have been a little bit reluctant. Uh, she had only ever heard it discussed as Abraham just sort of. Uh, in absolute faith, marching up the mountain, uh, no wavering at all. Yeah. Uh, and and what would be the difference? Let me just say this really quickly. That's the way I've always heard it too. Right. Uh, but and and I know that there are people smarter than me that would probably agree with that and ask the very same question. I'm not offended by this. This is a, an interpret interpretation of what is going on. 
But but here's where that comes from in my heart. This is why I read it that way. Uh, the reason is, I believe that the Bible is a real book containing real historical events of real people. Right. And when I look at the reality of Abraham, Abraham doesn't do very many things that are just bold, unquestioned faith. Mm. Like that he leaves his homeland, sure, absolutely 100%. But he's also a guy who wavers and has uncertainty because he's real and he lives in a fallen world the way we live in a fallen world. And there are times when he struggles with the promise of God. Right. And so what I'm doing in that is I'm projecting humanity onto Abraham. Yeah. I I think sometimes we take uh, these biblical characters and we, we think to ourselves, oh, well, that they were mentioned in Scripture means that they're elevated to something greater than humanity, but they're not. They are humanity. Mm-hmm. And they struggle where we would struggle. And, and yeah. maybe I'm projecting self onto Abraham. Right. I'm okay with that. Uh, if someone, I, I don't, it doesn't, to me, change the story. Um, it, the only thing it changes is whether or not, or maybe it changes how I look at Abraham. Mm. And, uh, and, and even that, it doesn't cause me to look at Abraham negatively. So if a person disagrees with me and says, no, I think Abraham boldly stepped up the mountain and never wavered or questioned or had any regret in the process of leading his son up for a sacrifice that God uh, prevented, um, I would say fine. I think the author of Hebrews actually gives us a little bit of insight mm-hmm. into this. Um, so Hebrews 11, uh, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So so that seems to indicate that Abraham was going up there with the full intention to sacrifice Isaac and had faith that God could raise him from the dead because God is faithful and does what he says he will. And so I think that demonstrates an even greater faith, an even greater faith than to say, okay, I'm going to be obedient I'm going to be obedient to God even when this doesn't make sense to say, I I believe God can raise this boy back from the dead because God has said that he is going to make a nation of the descendants through this, through this boy. And so I think, yeah, Abraham was ready to, to draw the knife. I think honestly, um, and I, I feel like, yeah, Hebrews 11 really kind of gives us that indication. So that's my, that's my answer to that, that question. That's a great question, though. Yeah, yeah, good answer. All right, so we're way over. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. Oh, we're 40, 40, bonus episode, 40. you get bonus minutes. That's right. Sorry, Free you're, of late. Charge. Sorry you're late for work, Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, fun stuff. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, and is produced by the one, the only, Alex Walker. My name is Tim Elmore. I'm the senior pastor at Memorial. And my name is Marshall Morton. I'm the associate pastor. Take care, everybody. See you next time.